This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. The new movie, The Killer, is a stylish thriller from director David Fincher and follows Michael Fassbender as an international hitman. When a hit goes wrong, Fassbender's unnamed killer's very detached and methodical life falls apart. He finds himself throwing his every bedrock professional principle out the window as he sets out on a deeply personal path of revenge. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about The Killer on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format. So you become a mini expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash consider this newsletter. Joining me today is NPR political correspondent Danielle Kurtzleben. Welcome back, Danielle. Yes, really happy to be here. Also with us is NPR producer Mark Rivers. Hey, Mark, good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. In The Killer, Michael Fassbender plays an extremely patient, stoic, and ruthlessly efficient assassin for hire who spends much of the film sharing his thoughts about his methods and his professional ethics with the viewer in voiceover. Stick to the plan. Anticipate, don't improvise. But when a hit in Paris goes badly wrong, he finds himself and his girlfriend targeted by person or persons unknown. He sets off to track down the people who are targeting him, and his quest for a very personal and unprofessional vengeance leaves him open for the first time to feelings of anger, confusion, and even, to his horror, empathy. The Killer is directed by David Fincher with a screenplay written by Andrew Kevin Walker. He also wrote the Fincher film Seven. It is currently streaming on Netflix. Danielle, kick us off. What do you make of The Killer? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I love David Fincher, and this is not my favorite David Fincher movie. But then again, that's like saying it's not a home run. It's still a triple. It's Mm. It's a great movie. I love a thriller. I love a caper, which this kind of ends up being a sort of revenge caper. I love an assassin movie. And... I feel like I've kind of boiled this down to two big reasons why I liked it. One is that it's an unusual assassin movie. This is not John Wick or Kill Bill. 
our killer in this movie who remains nameless, he's not cool. He's not perfect at this. In fact, <laughs> like the movie starts off with him screwing up and he, things keep going wrong for him. Uh-huh. And you keep wondering, yeah, he's good at his job, but how good is he? He he keeps nodding off. I kept wondering, like, sh- shouldn't you stay awake better, man? But also, <laughs> he listens to Mopey the Smiths while he's shooting people. The first 10 minutes, I was damn close to shutting off the movie because I was like, this guy is insufferable. This voiceover is obnoxious. Yeah. The real problems arise in the days, hours, and minutes leading up to the task. And the minutes, hours, and days... After, it all comes down to preparation. Trust me, stick with it. It's it, it gets better. Um, but the other reason I, I liked it quickly is because this movie captures a very specific panic well, which is that panic you feel when you're good at something and then you screw it up anyway. Like, the, you can really feel his terror. <laughs> you feel him scrambling to fix his mistake. And as, as an anxious person, I was like, I get it. I totally get it. I was with it from that <laughs> moment on. Yeah, I think to your point about, you know, this guy coming up as so insufferable at the beginning, I think your mileage on this movie will depend a lot on how quickly you're keyed into that Fincher is kind of making a comedy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This guy at the center of this, as you listen to his monologue, which is essentially constant throughout the movie, the words are not matching the actions, not matching what he's actually doing. And you realize that this guy is actually kind of, he's kind of lying to himself to kind of get through each day. I came out of this movie thinking... You know, this was an unabashedly unimportant movie. (laughs) Coming after his last movie, Mank, which, you know, is a story of old Hollywood and larger-than-life Hollywood figures like Orson Welles, Louis B. Mayer. And here we have this kind of, like, lean and mean take on a genre whose cobwebs have cobwebs at this point. And so at this point, it's about what do I do within this genre? And I think what he does is kind of fascinating because it's not only this comical element, he's presenting through this really ordinary kind of basic bro. You know, as Danielle said, he listens to the Smiths. He has the same taste in music as Joseph Gordon-Levitt from 500 Days of Summer, you know. (laughs) And this character is a part of the gig economy, and he's awash in brands. Mm-hmm. We start out the movie, he's in, a, he's in an abandoned WeWork. Um, he uses Amazon. Mm-hmm. He uses Postmates. This is very much a killer of our times. And I just found that very like funny and interesting. But I don't think it's top-tier Fincher. I think for a guy who's kind of known for these macabre and you know twisting set pieces and for being such a great conjurer of dread, I felt like this was more a movie where he was coasting. He can do this movie in his sleep. And there were times where I felt like he was doing it in his sleep. But there's more there than what the Serpic suggests. Okay. Because you mentioned, Mark, the cobwebs on cobwebs of this particular thriller genre. Um, let's talk about the cobwebs. I, I sat through this film thinking, man, the dream of the 80s is alive in this movie. This is a real throwback. I mean, the plot of this movie is a Schwarzenegger film. And the 80s version of it would have, you know, more bodies piling up and more catchphrases right before he pulled the trigger. And by the way, just as a screenwriting note, when it's unclear to the viewer whether the woman you fed into your plot's sausage grinder to drive the hero into action is the girlfriend, the wife, the sister, the housekeeper, when we, when we can't tell, that's, that's a, that was a warning sign to me. And that, that, that moment where she's there like, I didn't say anything and you'd be proud of me. I hated everything about that, but I think I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. In terms of what's new here, that's what I kept coming back to. And this movie – sets out to force this kind of romantic old school notion of a jet sending international assassin who can blend in and disappear. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you mentioned, Mark, this is the world of CCTV cameras and tracking technology and key fobs and whatnot. So 
this is a process movie and it's the methodology stuff that I dug. You know, how boring a stakeout is, mm -hmm. how you get access to a secure building. I loved all that. But it did seem to me – and you kind of touched on this, Mark. It seemed to me like that's the only thing new here. But is that fair to ask because this is a genre picture? Should I just let genre be genre? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean I think – a movie like this, it's not about – Ebert has that classic line. It's not what it's about. It's how it's about, right? So it's a matter of what you do within the genre, like how he's kind of coloring within the lines. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really potent choice to kind of make this killer this kind of freelance contractor, this kind of he, – he could be a financial consultant. If we just took away all the murder and the killings, you know, the way he's, the way he's constantly on the road. I, I thought of George Clooney's character in Up in the Air. You know, it's a very – he's, he's, sure. he's never you, – you never, you never really see him at home. He's, it's, a, it's a movie of transience. And what I appreciate about Fincher in comparison to some of his contemporaries like Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, David O. Russell, is this movie is firmly in the present. And this movie could not take place in any other period but now. Right. Only now could an assassin use Postmates to track his quarry or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it does make me think, you know, to, to what end? Like, if there's something, I think, inherently disposable about a genre that has seen this much wear and tear, I wonder how much, like, return value this movie's going to have. Hmm. And it doesn't feel necessarily as substantial as, say... Uh, Zodiac or the social network, which well, I think those have the benefit of like really rich uh, scripts. Too. Well, what is? Yeah, yeah, know? sure, sure, sure. <laughs> They're high bars. We kind of yeah. have to judge him from his own bar that he's set. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I I hear what you guys are saying, but I it, it sounds like I am the unabashed, uh, the killer cheerleader on this call, which is funny because when I first started watching it, like I said, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like mm -hmm. this. It's a very, you really have to be patient with this movie and wait for it to take off. But to your point, Glenn, when you were talking about how you can't tell if that woman he, he visits in the hospital, if that's his girlfriend, to me, I felt, oh, that's by design. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, David Fincher is known for being methodical. Like, you have to assume, especially with this guy, that every choice is made for a very specific reason. And what you really notice the more you watch it, or what I notice the more I watch it, is the lack of pleasure in this man's life. Like, he talks at the start about getting cheap, efficient protein at McDonald's. There are 1,500 McDonald's in France. A good enough place to grab 10 grams of protein for a euro. Alongside the other 46 million they serve each week. So then there's a scene where he's in a car. I'm going to remember this forever, where he eats a hard-boiled egg out of one of those flimsy little plastic packages oh, yeah. you get at a gas station and then chases it with gas station coffee. And I was like, the rankness of this man's <laughs> stomach has got to be... I mean, this guy is not enjoying anything. And so the fact that you couldn't tell if that was his girlfriend, it, to me, it was like this guy has so much difficulty connecting, enjoying feeling and it's thrown into so much relief so intentionally when towards the end of the movie he meets tilda swinton who is this character who takes joy in fancy whiskey fancy food like to me this movie is very much a comparison to seven because it has the same screenwriter as seven right andrew kevin walker mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what these two movies are doing is using killing this extreme thing to get at big questions to me like seven is about how do you deal with evil in the world how do you react to that to me this movie is about how do you deal with your own mistakes and also why do you do what you do? Why do you do mm -hmm. the job you do? This guy has no answer. And he meets other people who do have clear answers. They have families. They like good food. 
this guy just doesn't know who he is. I That's what I loved about it. It's kind of a midlife crisis movie in a certain way. I think there's a kind of like self-probing element to this movie mm-hmm. that was not necessarily there with Seven. It's like, can a person function like this in the world? And like, what does that do to you? Mm-hmm. And... I find that a little more resonant than Andrew Kevin Walker and Fincher's last collaboration, which was more entertaining, but I think ultimately a little too lurid and a little too nihilistic. It was a little dark. It's a, a, tad, a tad dark, you might say. It was, it was not driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> it's the kind of movie you make when you're not chasing awards, you know, and, and, and you're only now just like dealing with your own kind of like sense of like worth almost. There are things to unpack here that I think you might miss if you're just at home watching it and like looking at your phone and then, and then looking at it as well. Yeah, it's not a looking-at-your-phone movie. I feel like that's very, very clear. You can miss so much in this. Right, and a lot of critics have picked up on what you picked up on, Mark. The critical reaction to this movie, see, he's owning his obsessiveness. And this is a story about a person whose strict discipline and inflexibility utterly fails him. This is a movie about craft by a craftsperson that explores the limits of craft. And that's where the comedy comes in. You know, that we talk mm-hmm. about this voiceover and it is omnipresent, especially in the first mm, half hour or so. And man, voiceover is tricky because if it's there just to reiterate what we're already seeing, it can feel like it's being used to paper over some weakness in characterization or plot. It, it feels like something that's added in post. Here, I don't think it did because it exists to show us the daylight, as you both mentioned, between what his stated principles are and what he ends up doing in front of our eyes. I guess I am begging. <laughs> Empathy is weakness. Weakness is vulnerability. It's like running in counterpoint to what's happening. Yeah, he's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. I want to talk about the fight scene. Okay. Because that fight scene to me was one of my favorite ones in recent memory. Because, like, look, I'm a Mission Impossible freak. I will watch all sorts of thrillers. But, like, that that one, it was visceral. It was... Mm -hmm. Michael Fassbender, like, he takes a few, more than a few punches. It's funny at moments when he reaches for a weapon and doesn't get what he thinks he's going to get. It's like a cheese crater. Yes! Oh, and the look on his face was perfect. Mm -hmm. What I love is just, like, yes, this movie is in many ways a comedy uh, or a dramedy, whatever you want to call it, a thriller ad but also, like, when it is firing on all cylinders, it still functions as a thriller. I, I I loved that scene. It was so skillful. I mean, it is an unexpectedly funny movie. Like, you go to Fincher for the dread. You go to Fincher for the kind of, almost kind of for the meanness. You know, he likes to kind of play yeah. games with this with his characters. And, you know, and, and his characters often meet these, like, awful fates. But here, there's just such a satirical element to still a lot of it, too, where if there is a highlight to the movie, that is probably the highlight. That and Tilda. But Tilda's a highlight of everything she's in. Tilda is always a highlight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tilda makes anything better. I think that's just a general rule. Well, we want to know what you think about The Killer. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Danielle Kurtzleben and Mark Rivers, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. 
and you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened, we tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money Podcast from NPR. NPR. 